This is Business Impact, a podcast series from UCD College of Business, Ireland's leading business school. I'm your host, Emmett Oliver, and each episode I'll be joined by world-renowned faculty from across the College of Business, as well as international industry leaders who offer us insight, spark curiosity, and challenge you to rethink how you do business in a changing world. You're very welcome to another edition of Business Impact with me, Emmett Oliver, live today, live from the UCD Business Campus. We are sitting in our new fangled studio. Well, it's not new, but relatively new, and there's all sorts of new equipment and infrastructure coming in here all the time, which hopefully you're hearing in the wonderful sound quality as I speak right now. Now, on my way in here, I've been studying service stations. I've been looking at the size of them. I've been looking at what's in the window. I've been looking at what they're selling and the names outside. I know, strange things that we get up to as we head into the Christmas season. But there is a reason for my peculiar research stream that I've been looking at. And that's because my guest today will be talking about that and a whole lot more because he is Joe Barrett, who is the Chief Executive Officer of Apple Green. And it's great to talk to Joe because he's a very interesting guest, but also because Apple Green is a company that everyone Literally everyone listening, I think, has either been in, has filled up their car, had a coffee, bought a sandwich, bought a newspaper, magazine, something for the winter time, um, drinks, fruit, you name it. So everyone listening, it's not every day we talk to a guest whose um, who's company everyone has engaged with on some level before. So this is going to make it a very interesting conversation. The other reason we're talking to Joe is he is a BCom graduate. He was here in the 1980s. Joe? 84 to 87. 84 to 87. So he was looking at the uh, student bar before he came in here wistfully saying it looks all very different out here, which is true. And we'll get into a bit of that as well, Joe. But um, first of all, very welcome along. Thanks for being our guest today. Thanks, Emmas. Nice to be here. Yeah, because uh, you don't do a huge amount of interviews, so it's good to get you. We had to do a bit of lobbying to get you in here, but thanks very much for, for coming along. Um, this is a company that I think is, is a great Irish success story and a development story as well. It's, it's a disruptor. Um, it's a consolidator. It's it's a company that has grown from one store, one service station in Sarsfield Road at Inchicore. And you can tell us about what size it is now. Uh, 18,000 employees, uh, for starters, operating in both the UK, US and in Ireland as well. And it really started small, but we'll go through all the history of it. Um, so, Joe, talk us a little bit of Apple Green, a bit about yourself as well. First of all, you've been in retail, and that's going to be important as our conversation moves along. But you've been in retail before you ever came into this area. So just tell us a little bit about your own background after you left UCD and, and the various roles you took up before you ended up in service station land. Yeah, well, I did a commerce degree here in 1984 and 87. Uh, at that time, there was a lot of people who wanted to do accountancy. I didn't want to do that. I studied entrepreneurship and then also transport. And they were the kind of two areas that I liked. At the time, there was very few jobs in Ireland. So I left Ireland and went over to John West Foods in Liverpool. And I was there for just under two years, loved it. It was my first real learning about computers because at the time, there wasn't a lot being taught in UCD at that. It was a very much a specific area rather than being an everyday requirement. So I learned a lot about PCs and software there. Then I moved from Liverpool down to London. I joined Tesco's in their head office and I did a management training program there, which was great. I had just over two years with them and it, it went really well. Learned a lot about um, information, trading, the buying department, creating new products and just all about the 
the experience within retail and it's all about volumes, margins, worked on a specific project called DPP. I remember direct product profitability and it was all about the profit per product on a shelf. And it really gives you good insight of the use of data and just analytics within the, within the business. And then I got a call from a person who's now my colleague, a guy called Bob Etchingham, to join him in a new startup business in Ireland called Blue Gas. That was in the same space as Calor Gas and Flow Gas. So I came back from London and worked in this new startup for about two years or so. What, what were friends and family saying about you getting involved in this business? They weren't all welcoming initially, is that right? My father had introduced me to Bob, so I'd, I had met Bob before through, through my dad. Bob was starting up this business. He knew me and said, do you want to come back? And I said, said yes. So it was really exciting. I ended up doing everything from finance, accounting, selling, marketing, recruiting. It was a really, really good experience. And I really got the the buzz of a startup companies versus a big, large company. So then I left that after two years, came in and did an MBA in the Smurfit School. That was around 1992, I think. And that was that was the first full time MBA in UCD. That was a great experience. Thoroughly enjoyed it. I love the education and the learning. Um, and to me, I would and I've said it to my kids as well, I would suggest you're always better to go away and work for a few years and then come do a master's. We see a lot of people who kind of apply for roles with us. They go straight from the primary degree into a master's and that's great. But just personally, I would say... Get some work years in. Find out what you like, if nothing else. Yeah, and I think you'll get a much more benefit from the master's afterwards. So really enjoyed the master's. um, And then my colleague, when I'd when I'd finished the MBA, Bob had sold. In the meantime, Bob had sold the blue gas business. He rang me and said, "I've got two service stations. Do you want to come and join?" I said, "Fine, I'll join if I can get some equity." And that was thirty-two years ago. So <laughs> it's it's, it's um, we worked together sort of long, you, longer than most marriages. You say two service stations. It's not big, right? It's not a large business, but you must have seen the potential, or did you see like how, what was your own view at that time of where it could go? Yeah, well, we worked really well together in Blue Gas, and um, so I knew his style. He's thirteen years older than me, and we just have a, a great respect for each other's abilities. And the fact that you have equity, you have an ownership in the business, to me, is much better than becoming an employee in a much larger organisation. So that was the pull for me. That was the excitement. It took us uh, 10 years to get to 12 sites. So it was very slow growth. We did everything from sweeping floors, uh, bringing in the papers, putting out the milk. And you have to go and switch off alarms late at night. Tell me a little bit about that. Well, I just when I got I first lived in Black Rock in um, when we got married and I was running a site out in uh, Baldoyle in Enchicore and the alarm would go off at three or four in the morning and you get the phone call to come out and turn it off. You're so, going, where, there's no glamour in this, is there? There's no glamour in that. But that's where you learn. That's where you learn the business. Um, another story from Baldoyle is, is that I love coffee. Um, we were very close to Bewley's headquarters in out on the Malloyd Road, and I got to know Patrick Bewley. And between us, we ended up developing the the first push button coffee machines in um, in service stations in Ireland. And we were able to provide the retail experience. He was providing the know how and the equipment, and we were able to merge those together. Um, I then remember years ago then doing a deal with. Bobby Care for Bewley's Express Cafe after that in our site in Rathcool and that was re- that was that worked really well. So one of the things I would say is 
life and experience about working well with partners. So whether for us, we've worked really well with supply partners, with banking partners, and that has been led to the growth of the business. Yeah, you've been quite open, haven't you? I mean, unlike unlike the other Apple company who, who kind of very much are proprietorial and they don't really deal with anyone else, your company has been very open to partnering up and, and the, the, the phone is always there for anyone to ring you and talk about potential yeah, partnerships. Yeah, yeah. That's we, we love that. We spend a lot of time looking at other opportunities abroad and dealing with people abroad. So we, we tend to share ideas and with working groups with companies that are based in the States or based in the UK or around Europe because you're not really competitors but you're in the same sector and you can learn from from each other. And I think that's important. Now, the, the, the level of growth, um, Joe, I suppose, is, is, is the, the story here in many respects. As you say, starting from two service stations you came in, you got some equity, you're, you're incentivized, they're all aligned up. Yeah. And then it's just been, I wouldn't say stellar growth because there's big gaps of years where there's not growth, but then you suddenly get these step changes, maybe is the best way to describe them. What, is there any particular period that you'd say, well, this was vital? So. Well, we created our brand in 2005 and what kind of, the reason that came, it was there was legislation change in Europe, which banned 10-year contract agreements. Our fuel suppliers had been in sort of 10-year, what were called solace agreements. They were banned, so it was enabled us for the first first time to negotiate with our um, with our supplier for better volumes and better margins. Um, we wanted to do something ourselves rather than pay a f- effective like a marketing fee to the to the big international brands. So we ended up creating creating the Apple Green brand and that was that was great excitement. Um, we knew what we wanted inside we knew that when people come to a forecourt, they see it's a forecourt. So we wanted the brand to reflect the shop. Detour, the name Apple Green. Can you just tell us about how that came about? Yes, yeah, so we had used a brand agency who was very good holding our hand. They had ended up coming up with a suggesting a name called Horizon, which didn't really sit well with us. It sounds techie, doesn't it? Techie. It was yeah. also Horizon, like a kind of, you could see a canopy on the horizon. My colleague Bob then came in one day and said, what about Apple? And his daughter, Sarah, keeps on saying she was the one who, who came up with the name. Bob says disagrees. But um, so we can't we couldn't use the name Apple, obviously. So we had to put something before or after it. And we brought back the agency to help us. And we came up then with Apple Green. The most important thing is we were able to register the name, which was great. And at the time when we put it out, I remember we put a standalone shop down the site in Newbridge and it didn't work at all. People thought we were a fruit and veg shop. They didn't know what we were. <laughs> so we kind of quickly learned to concentrate just on the forecourt sector. And it just so happened then a couple of years later, the whole green movement started coming around the late uh, 2000s. And we were in the right place at the right time with Apple and green. And it just it just worked well for us. We also invest heavily in our stations and we wanted to kind of really lift the ambience and the look and the feel and the 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 equipment that's used to build them. So it's a lot of natural light, natural timbers, that type of idea. And you're very accepting of the realities of operating in the service station in the sense you in the preparation for this conversation, you were talking about toilets and you were instead of a lot of um, chief executives say, well, don't be talking about toilets, right? But you actually think that they're the fact that they're clean and is important. It is the most important thing. Um, if we're we're really in the motorway service area, we call ourselves a, a sort of a, a hospitality retailer. And the first thing most people do, 85% of people on surveys will come in and they'll use the bathroom. So if your bathrooms aren't clean, you're not. that's going to send a bad message about your food quality in your kitchen. So to us, the most important thing is step change is cleanliness, ease of parking, good Wi-Fi, 
high quality foods. We partner with international food brands, whereas other other people decide to do brands themselves. We like partnering with the likes of Starbucks, Burger King, uh, Dunkin Donuts, Chick-fil-A, Shake Shack, um, all those big international brands. Uh, we, we proudly work very, very well with them. Now, in terms of this growth, it has been as a stratospheric. You, you started with one, one or two sites. Then actually, I have a nice chart, which you told us uh, very helpfully prepared for me, which is 1992, we've one site. Uh, 2002, we're at 12. By 2005, we're at 24. Then a really big jump up to 75 sites in 2010. And then 2015, you're at 200. And I think you're at about plus 600 and now, right? So in other words, particular years stick out um, and... and it's obviously too short a period of time to go through all of these um, sort of inflection moments in the company's history, Joe. But is there anything that where you was there a moment or a deal or something where you said this really was the transformational moment or this is the deal that well, made it all? If I maybe concentrate on three fields, the first six motorway sites in Ireland, the contract uh, we won it in 2009 and built them out in 2010 and that really put the Apple Green brand on the map for Irish Irish uh, customers. We partnered then with Costa Coffee and Burger King and that was a real sort of what I would call a game changer for us in the brand and it gave us the insight into motorway locations and that then led us on to our desire to grow and expand in that space. In 2015 uh, we went public and the idea behind that was to get money to allow us grow and get bigger and that went really well and we were delighted with that and at that stage we had 200 locations and then following the income we had from there we were able to buy a significant share in Welcome Break which is the number two motorway service area operator in the UK so we own 53% in that and we have a relatively silent partner that um, provides the capital investment and infrastructural player in in that space and we run all the day-to-day operations. So that is that was very, very significant for us. And then um, since then from what I'm called 2019-2020 we have significantly expanded in the US. So we've won contracts in the New York State Thruway. So um, I was explaining to Emmett that in the States um, you can get a 30-year contract to provide all the motorway service facilities on, for example, the interstate running from New York City uh, through Albany, the capital, right out um, to Buffalo, so which is at the Canadian border. So again, that is, that's something that's very different. They're, they're branded what, uh, Joe? They're branded Apple Green. So we have all the motorway sites there, also in Connecticut, and New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Ohio, Indiana. Have you noticed any differences between purchasing patterns or just the way the whole thing operates in, say, in Ireland or UK versus the US? Because lots of companies, the Tesco was particularly one, they found it very different market or has it been similar enough? Like, what have you noticed that, oh, the US is quite uh, idiosyncratic in this way or whatever? Well, I think we're going in saying that we want to learn and we're adaptable to change. Our first station in the States was 2014. So we're taking time to learn the business and make our mistakes in small locations and then get into the big ones. So we we have adapted. So over there they talk about gallons rather than litres it's dollars obviously and they're very brand orientated so we find that you need to partner with the big international brands over in Ireland in the UK we we use the slogan low fuel prices always and we use fuel pricing to bring more people into the forecourt whereas in the States tax is is much lower on fuel so that that isn't a driver so the, the businesses are different but fundamentally they're the same people come in they go to the bathroom you want a coffee or food 
or whatever and you go back out again and in the States people drive huge distances and it's nothing for somebody to drive four or five hours mm. It's uh, so that's really helpful to have um, to have those I often say if you take it in terms of volume of traffic on the roads in Ireland, it's kind of one times. In the UK, it's at least two, two and a half times Ireland. And in the States, it's two and a half times the UK. Like it's a, the volumes of traffic are huge. Yeah. And, and the car is at the centre of the transport network in ways that we can't really imagine in Ireland or the UK. It's quite different. Now, in terms of the story, I mean, obviously... You know, it's an amazing story to come up with 600 uh, over uh, service stations. And I, I describe yourselves as a, a little bit of the Ryanair of this area, which I wasn't sure whether Joe was going to fling something at me or was happy enough to, to take that description. And what I mean by that is you've managed to grow in Ireland uh, to a critical level. You've got off the island uh, into the UK and now you're adding the US on and you're adding big employee numbers as well. So you, you've kind of uh, slipped out of the Irish mould. But in terms of the old names, like we used to have, you used to drive by service stations years ago, you'd see SO, Shell, Maxall, Texaco, BP, Jet. These were the old names. Mm. You're now the, the new the sheriff in town. Is there anything that you'd pick out that sort of um, made this happen or sort of you'd say, look, that's the thing? or Because it's been a very explosive growth over a reasonably short period of time. I'm sure it didn't feel like that when you were doing it. It's a hard slog probably from from your side, but is there some, what's the, what's the keys to the success here? What are the things that you would say are relevant to how you've grown and how you developed? The first big one was when Tesco's came to Ireland in the late 1990s, early 2000s. They caused a lot of disruption and a lot of the big international players then pulled back from expansion. That gave an opportunity for brands like Topaz then to combine um, groups of stations together, the likes of BP, Jet, Shell and then Statoil came in and bought them out and then Circle K came in and bought Esso and bought everyone else else out. They're very much assembling a lot of the big competitors. We're the number two player against them. We've done it all organically. Um, we're very happy with that. We concentrate on food. They predominantly concentrate on fuel and sort of maybe coffee to go and grab and go sweets. We see ourselves as being really, we're, we're a food hospitality business that happens to sell fuel. 24% of our gross margin to, uh, company-wide comes from fuel. Yeah, that's an important statistic, isn't it? Yeah. That that 75% is non-fuel-related. Yeah. Because, I mean, I think one thing, if you want to get Joe irked, <laughs> uh, talk about it as a petrol business, because you, you think that is a, it really doesn't understand what you yeah. do at all. Isn't it? And also, it's kind of like, um, if you think about the evolution of fuels that are in cars, when we first started, we were called Petrogas because LPG gas was a dominant part of the fuel then leaded petrol was was banned and diesel became a big player. And now we're evolving into electric cars. And we have 750 chargers between Ireland, the UK and the States. We're significantly expanding that part of our business. We're Tesla's largest partner in the UK um, for their for locations. So we see the evolution of this business really that will be providing facilities for roadside uh, travellers. Um, they're going to come in, charge up their car with electric, go inside, use the bathroom, get something to eat, back in the car, do their emails. How long might they be there? Like, obviously, it depends on the battery and all the rest of it. But what, like, what, what kind of in your business? What are you thinking? That our sense will be fifteen, twenty minutes. I think that's that's what'll end up happening. I think, and you'll plan your journey where you where you'll find a location. And you'll say, I, I want to get all my jobs done in the fifteen, twenty minutes. Is there going to be enough room in the service stations for all these people to be charged? Do you think? Do you think the the footprint of actual service stations will be bigger? Yeah, well, we're targeting one small 
part of the requirement. Most people, 50%, will still charge at home. Yeah. And then you'll have community charging, which will be very important. You'll have people charging up in in large retail locations or shopping centres. So we're going to be fast charging for people on the move. Is it, is it costly to put charging infrastructure into service? Like what? What do we? I mean, think of the old pumps, you know, yeah, the petrol. Yeah. Like, is it is it higher or lower than that? Or I mean, what, what are you talking? Yeah. The most difficult thing for us is to actually get the ESB charging power into sites, and. This is this. It's the same difficulty across all the markets we're in Ireland, the UK, the States. Every country is struggling to cope with the demand for electricity to get to get in there. So there's an awful lot of work being done on the network to provide power to the likes of us and um, to be able to pr- put chargers so you, in you place. No end of demand to get it in. Then it's, oh. it's can you get it in? The yeah. issue for us is get get power. We will have chargers there within a couple of weeks once we get the power. Yeah, so it's a DSB is the main person or company you deal with, or well, it's AirGrid. Yes, it's the grid, and it. But my point is, it's not just the same. It's the same issue as in Ireland, the UK, the States. It's not just in Ireland. It's across. It's across the, and that's very helpful. There's a lot of funding available in this US in particular that has been really helpful to us. Um, They have a NEVI funding where you can get support to help the cost, but you could cost up to a million dollars to put in um, a small number of bank of four um, charging locations and it could be as low as a few hundred thousand depending on where you are access to power. The great part of it is once it's in, it's in, right? It's not, you don't have this big petrol truck arriving in to refill all the time so I suppose it's a sunk cost to some degree, isn't it? Yes, exactly. But I think what you're saying is even to get to the sunk cost piece is still a struggle. And we're hoping to, to do a lot of work on battery power, solar power, Wind power, so that we can be we can get green power into those um, into those chargers and then sell on from there. I mean, I think you'll, whoever got the Apple Green name all those years ago, obviously they didn't know about any of this. But to talk about a connection in now into into the values of the company with the, the name, there's no doubt about it. I mean, in terms of. Um, the, the 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 old names. Did you do you think like you've been so good at consolidating this industry as well? Like like I mean, did just did other companies just miss the boat or these old um, oil companies like obviously Esso is a well known connection with the oil business. Like what what did they just not see it or something? Like it's almost because you've gone from a tiny handful number of sites to six hundred plus, and I'm almost thinking kind of. What were the other guys doing, the incumbents? Were they just sitting there being picked off? Or We got to really know our business. When we were small, as I said, it took 10 years to get 12 sites. So we ran the business very closely and um, we knew all about food. We had an agency for a brand called Wimpy in Ireland. We worked with Bewley's and we really got to know the detail about food. And when I was going around the country selling the franchise Wimpy, I really got to meet lots of people to understand that there wasn't a huge amount of knowledge at that stage about food to go. And a lot of the oil companies were just mostly about food and didn't know about the shop. Mm. So and as a result of that, they kind of pulled back and retreated. So we were in the right place at the right time to grow and expand. Obviously, then during the recession, there was a lot further pullback. We had what we would describe a great recession. We had good partnerships with our banks that were very helpful. And we were able to grow and expand during the recession when a lot of people were moving away. The six motorway sites um, with with the deal with TII, Transport Infrastructure Ireland, was a really sort of a great um, help to us and it really got our brand out there. So both of those would have been part of the reasons why some of the brands pulled back and we came forward with more food yeah. and, more brand, and more brand knowledge. And if you visit a, an Apple Green service station and some of the others as well, but, but we're talking to Apple Green here, 
you can buy not virtually anything. Obviously, there's certain things that are on there. So how do you decide this is going to work? I know it's going to be trial and error is, is your answer, but like the amount of provision of goods in there now is at an all-time high. The amount, there's virtually nothing you can't get of basic staples in a service station. So it, it, where's the ceiling or where's the limit or is there a limit in what you might sell over the next few years? Well, I think we, we work closely with our with our partners. Um, we have our own distribution centre in Leakslip for our Irish business and deliver to all our sites. We have a very good trading team and they work closely with our suppliers say, what is the demand? What do people need? We really believe in trialling things. So we work closely with with brands that kind of want to trial products to see how they get on. Like what's doing well at the moment? What are the three or four things you'd say that are flying out the door? One example, our, our uh, Deborah, our head of trading, came out with the brand, got the brand Prime into Ireland. We were first with that. What's Prime? Sorry. That's it's an energy drink okay, that kids, right. young kids love. Um, coffee is a fantastic product. We have um, we have a team um, headed up by Maria who's developed her own Brayburn brand. For those who don't know, makes of apple, Brayburn is a type of apple. And Percy Pig with Marks and Spencer. Marks and Spencer has been fantastic. That's our most recent. Last Friday, I just signed a deal for another 65 um, locations with uh, with Marks and Spencer. So that's going to be brilliant for us. Um, it's a really good partnership. It was um, combining of a lot of deals. I first spoke to Steve Rowe in Marks and Spencer's chief exec there, I'd say 10, 12 years ago. We tried to get the deal done, couldn't. And we only got it together in the last year or so um, and it was it was really really helpful for us really helpful for them they want to grow and expand their business we have an opportunity to bring the brand into Northern Ireland as well which will be which will be good for us And how do those mainstream retailers obviously Marks and Spencer you're talking very positively about them but do, how do the others do, do, do some of them view you guys you guys being service station businesses in Appleton do they, do they sort of go oh not these guys again they're stealing our, our lunch or do they actually say some of them as you say to Marcus we'll partner up like is, is it like what are the attitudes of the mainstream retailers to your growth and companies like yourself generally very good we've um, all those main retailers also have distribution warehousing parts of the business and we've worked well with them over the years whether it was BWG Foods Musgraves um, that has gone well but we like to kind of control our business we like our own distribution centre so hence we came up with our own name Apple Green so we could control the brand our partnership with Marks and Spencers is great because we're heavily involved in the distribution side of that business so it's it's um, it's like we would say about our fuel distribution is from port to pump from uh, for our shop side of our business it's it's from our warehouse to the to the shelf in the store and I think it's really important to maximise your volumes having the right product on the shelf to maximise your margins to cut out middlemen it, they're the sort of parts of the philosophy of our business and sometimes products probably surprise you that you, you maybe didn't have big expectations for and then suddenly you know you also you have things like the antigen tests that were they were done a couple of years COVID. ago we couldn't COVID tests we couldn't we could, couldn't keep them in stock we had little fidget spinners You've every year there's there's another the lottery product. is still the a popular the lottery is still popular so there's but people generally come into us for top ups we we say our brand essence is simple solutions every day so people are coming up to us to fuel up to go to the bathroom to get a drink get a coffee get pastries or sweets or drinks it's the necessities while to keep you going on your journey we're not really destination shopping but one of the things we have found with Marks and Spencers is that that's an area that we can help solve and we're going to be looking now at Click and Collect they do a lot of online ordering the fact that we have a lot of locations with them or with others or potentially no potentially with, with Marks and Spencers yeah, to partner okay. with them for click and collect so customers can order online with Marks and Spencers pick it up in your local and, Apple Green, yeah. and pick it up in your Apple Green yeah. so they're all coming down 
down the line. Yeah, because IKEA are doing some of that with others as well, yeah. with Tesco. So there's these strange alliances that you might not have seen coming down the tracks, you know. And I think it's Ireland is is a great country, but it's relatively small. So if you're a big international player, you see Ireland is is smaller than the size in, of Manchester, for example. So I think we're trying to kind of how do you become most efficient? Mm. One of the things you we, we keep on saying you have to keep on evolving, and if you do, if you stop evolving, you die. So it's we're always looking for new products. We're always evolving. So our Brayburn brand, we've only just come out in the last two years with it and it's a great success. There'll be further evolutions in food and coffee, in car wash, in in electric vehicle charging. You just have to constantly evolve. So in terms of the future then, Joe, it's been a great a great run, right? And oftentimes when people ask that question, they kind of go, right, it's, it's coming to an end. No, I don't think it is at all for what you're saying, but... What's your ambition for the business? I understand you run it with um, um, Bob Etchingham and as you've got Blackstone as a shareholder. So I'm not asking you to have all the answers, but in terms of the ambition for the business, how big can, what's the ceiling? Is there any ceiling? What's your own sort of personal reflection on that? The first thing I would say is we run with a much wider group than that. We have a whole senior management team of 30 to 40 people. We let each country run its own business and we guide rather than dictate. And I think that's really important to have strong teams of people around us. In terms of the ambition, I think there's massive further growth potential in the States. I think we looked in Europe before and it didn't happen, but we certainly will have another look again. So you mean the continental Europe, Europe, the France, Germany, Spain, whatever? Yeah, I think think there'll be further opportunities there. Our biggest issue, to be honest, is getting good people. So in, in general, access to locations, access to finance is relatively there. The issue for us is good people to help grow. And what's the roadblock there, no pun intended, to getting those people? What, 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 what's re- Is it just the same as any other business or is there a particular in the sector? It's a combination of recruiting, uh, training, keeping, um, evolving uh, good people. We've, we've developed our own graduate programme, which is going really well. We've had our graduates over in the US. One of our colleagues, Simona, has decided to, to stay in the US, which is fantastic. So we still see Ireland as being the kind of the birthplace. You work with UCD. Uh, work very closely with UCD, with our graduate programme. I often think kind of like one of the things I would say to people who are in UCD is like some of my best friends are all from UCD I'm still involved in the rugby club here I've been in Paris a half dozen times with loads of people friends from UCD well, You weren't out there recently for the World Cup match were you? I was there for all bar one okay. but anyway You're there for the one against yes. New Zealand right New okay Zealand, Sorry. Yeah. So um, one of the big things I've found in, in working life is that most of the people you come up against in, are people you've met in college so I think it's really important to enjoy college I hate the fact that this, if there's so much continuous assessment that you you miss out on joining clubs and fraternities and just um, getting to getting to meet people because that to me has made life easier. Whether you're dealing with solicitors, accountants, suppliers, in general, I'm bumping up against lots of people that I was in college with. What kind of people are you looking for? Obviously, we're all familiar as the public with the person you deal with when you go into the station. But you're obviously recruiting a whole range of people from top to bottom in the art. So just give us an idea of the kind of people you're looking for. The most important thing is ambition. The most important. It's somebody's mindset. Everything else can be trained for. 
And I think when you find somebody with the right mindset, that's what that's what be, they become leaders. They become entrepreneurs. They're the they're the people who are going to be at the forefront of the business. Um, it's really important to have skills like accountancy, engineering, buying, um, design. Um, like, for example, we've six internal lawyers in our business. If you ask me that, <laughs> I'd never I'd never thought that. But we have six internal lawyers. It that, sounds like you're saying, should we have six internal yeah, lawyers? <laughs> That's what's should, happened, right? But it shows you the scale of the business. Yeah, so, the variety of roles, yeah. But I think it's everyone can learn something, basically. But it's the attitude you bring. And it's that can-do attitude. It's to trial something and fail and then try again and succeed. They're the kind of things that are really, really important. You've got a moniker across companies, which is the confidence to disrupt, which is an interesting one. So you're you're saying to me before we start recording, mistakes will happen, people will get things wrong, and that's okay as long as it's overall moving towards a goal long term. There's never a mistake that's that's terminal. you, You learn, you learn more from your mistakes than you do from your successes. So I think it's really important to um to do that. So I think that mindset is really important. Um, I think if anybody has good language skills, I always think in general in Ireland, we're not great with language skills, but one of the blockers we have going into Europe is language. It's easier for us to go to the UK and the States. And I think that's why it's made it made it easy for us. But it's certainly something that that, that we need to look at. Yeah, it's it's amazing. This story, as I said, starting so small, spotting the opportunity. You've grown it. You've developed it. You've you've leaped off the island of Ireland. Uh, Europe, as you say, is mm. a possible target. You know, um, but the US will take a while to gobble down anyway. So you've plenty to go. You know. And we're not rushing anywhere. Like there's huge opportunities out there, and we're enjoying what we're doing. Uh, we've no desire to retire or to stop what we're doing. It's all now about kind of um, bringing on the next generation to see how big can this thing go. And that's the way we see it. Yeah, well, at 18,000 employees, I mean, it's uh, it's an extraordinary number to have. And uh, as I said, you're probably adding people. Every, uh, in the time I've done this podcast, you've probably hired another yeah. one or two people. So it, it's it's the growth has got to be sustained and it looks like it is. So um, from your BCom days, you've taken us right through. We probably need more time to go to the full story. But thank you very much for the conversation, Joe. It's been fantastic. A very interesting business, one that came from such a small start. And you don't have to go out to Baldoyle, was it, to do, turn off the alarms Not anymore? Not anymore. Hopefully no. <laughs> somebody else is doing that. But uh, little do they know the uh, the footsteps they're following in terms of the company's history and so on. But for now, the Chief Executive Officer of Apple Green, Joe Barrett, thank you very much for coming in and talking to us. Thanks, Emmett. If you enjoyed this week's episode of the UCD Business Impact Podcast, please subscribe to episodes on Apple Podcast or Spotify. We cover a broad range of topics with insights from business leaders around the world, so there's sure to be something there for everyone. I'd like to thank our production team of Beth Gormley and Mike Liffey. They work tirelessly in the background, sourcing interviewees, editing, promoting episodes, and everything in between. I've been your host, Emmett Oliver, and we hope you can join us next time on UCD Business Impact. Music